everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence medical experts for insight and information. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and here with me today is Dr. Jeffrey Lee with Facey Medical Center in Mission Hills, California. Today, we're answering your questions about the OWNIT program here at Providence. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter at PSJH and on Facebook under Providence St. Joseph Health. Use the hashtag Talk with a Doc, that's hashtag Talk with a Doc, for a chance to hear your questions on our episodes. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming our expert today, Dr. Lee. Dr. Lee, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. For the listeners at home, can you give us just a quick little overview of what you do here? Sure. I am a primary care physician, uh, board certified in internal medicine, and I'm also the assistant medical director. Uh, but Primarily, I see patients uh, in the clinic taking care of uh, folks from 18 to, I think my oldest patient is 103 years old. Wow. So, yeah. So, so you're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to take credit, but you I You haven't can't. been there the whole 103 yeah, I years. Haven't. Yeah, And really, you know, the, the patient has just had, uh, she just has great lifestyle and, and uh, has been doing well. So, uh, yeah. But uh, primary care. And I'm also the assistant medical director, so I help out with a lot of other managerial administrative things here at FACI. Awesome. Well, and the topic today is on a program called Own It. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Own It program is? Sure. Uh, Own It program is um, a uh, an effort to try to restore the human connection that uh, we're, we want our physicians and caregivers to have. Uh, having them kind of reconnect with the reason that they went into healthcare. Um, a lot of physicians, uh, they're so busy with their daily activities, a lot of administrative things that have been put upon them. Sure. And so they uh, often lose touch with why they went into healthcare, why they went into medicine, which is really to, to help people to, to care for the, the sick and vulnerable and to really show compassion. And really the ONIT program is that, uh, really to kind of let them realize that the doctor-patient relationship is really something very special. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a sacred kind of situation. In the exam room, there is kind of a, uh, you know, it's, it's unlike any other setting, really. You know, patients will come, and they'll tell their doctor some, some very personal and oh, um, yeah, confidential kinds of things that they wouldn't tell their spouse. Or you tell your doctor more than you tell your priest, I'm pretty sure. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, you know, getting physicians to understand how special that is because they get bogged down with so much else. And so that's sure. what the owner program is about. There is a lot that physicians and clinical experts have to do these days. I don't think people think about because it it's not just that they come into the room and they talk to you. There's all the prep before they even come into the room. They've looked at your record. Then they talk to yeah. you. They're actually updating your record. They're making referrals. I mean, so much. Yeah. Everybody thinks that patient interaction is 20 minutes, but it's really, I think one of the doctors we talked to recently said it's like an hour and a half for a 20 minute engagement. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of preparation because, um, Believe it or not, the physician doesn't know every single patient that they <laughs> right. are seeing, so they often have to review the chart. And because we have an electronic medical record, we have records as far back as there is an electronic record for us. We've been on electronic records uh, since the early 2000s. So it's really impossible for uh, someone to review all of those records, but you sure. have to quickly try and familiarize yourself with as much as mm-hmm. is going to be talked about that day. But there's other things that have to be dealt with. Um, the whole visit has to be documented. Right. And so physicians do spend a lot of time after the visit writing down what happened because we don't have someone like a court stenographer there taking right, minutes right. for us while we're in the middle of the visit. And so the physician has to try and recreate all those things. 
in addition to doing all of the mechanical things to get the care done, ordering the medications, right. ordering the labs, uh, putting in the referrals, uh, and putting all that together so you can submit a, a billing code so that uh, the group and, and the physician can get reimbursed for the services that they're providing. So it's a lot of additional work on top of just the face-to-face encounter that the physician has with the patient. Which I think is really going back to the program itself, right? That you go into medicine because you want to help people, not because you want to spend an hour doing charts, right? So Yeah. yeah. It's tough because so much of you know, my role as an administrator is to try and help physicians hit these other things mm-hmm. like the coding, like the documentation, like using the electronic health record. But until we had own it, we didn't have anything really to help physicians be more compassionate, be more empathetic, uh, and be able to, to really meet patients uh, and the reason why the patients are coming in. So when you when you describe it, and I definitely want you to go into more detail about like what a, a program actually entails, but some people maybe would call that a burnout program. Would you consider this to be part of like a burnout d- reduction program? Well, you know, I wouldn't say that it's primarily for burnout reduction, but I think restoring the connection to why physicians went into medicine mm-hmm. would be a huge part in reducing burnout. You know, there's a the definition of burnout is it's a syndrome of chronic workplace stress, mm-hmm. and there's three aspects to it. One is emotional exhaustion, two is depersonalization, and three is reduced personal accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And physicians, they went into medicine to try and accomplish something, and that's to take to care for patients. But getting bogged down in all these non-patient-directed uh, sure. activities can be really tough for physicians. On top of that, they are often very isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the physician of today doesn't generally see other doctors. Uh, you're busy going from patient to patient to patient. Right. You don't really have time to kind of uh, debrief with other physicians. You don't have time to go over difficult cases, whether it's clinically difficult or if it's emotionally difficult. And um, a lot of the things that patients bring in are just it's emotion- emotionally exhausting. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. so um, not being able to kind of uh, share that and, and kind of release that is a problem, but own it definitely affords that opportunity. Well, talk to me a little bit more about own it. How does it work? So own it is um, it starts off with a, a four-hour session where, uh, in this case, we have our physicians come together uh, and we help them kind of get some concepts, a framework for them to understand so that they can continue to do that um, later on. And they can share that with other physicians and with uh, the rest of the team as well. So uh, we gather them together. We split them up into different tables. uh, And we have some some short stories, presentations that we have facilitators share about their own personal experiences, as well as the tables themselves kind of sharing some of the experiences related to the topics that we go over during the ONIT program. It's amazing. And how do how do physicians or clinical experts how do they find this program? You know, they're they're really loving it. Yeah. You know, I have to tell you, um, as a uh, one who is also one of the tabletop facilitators, we went through this ourselves, and at first. You know, I was a little bit kind of hesitant, you know, what is this about? We've had plenty of other, like, uh, patient satisfaction improvement campaigns or sure, talks. Sure. Or, you know, this is how you should talk to the patient, you know, and someone getting up and, and kind of giving us that information. But the, the very uh, helpful thing in, in the owner program is in the tables, the doctors, we get to share our own experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that we get to do a whole lot. It's almost like a support group. Absolutely. You know, there was um, 
a phenomena that happened really across the country uh, in the disappearance of the doctor's lounge at the hospital. Right. This used to be a place where doctors would go and they would see other doctors and they would kind of talk about difficult cases. They would get to know each other. They would become friends, but also have an opportunity to kind of share some of the, the things that they've been doing. But at many hospitals, uh, the doctor's lounges have disappeared or mm-hmm. they've become inhospitable. Or physicians like myself don't go to the hospital that much. Right. You know, my day is mostly spent in the clinic. And I have, uh, we work with a team of hospitalists who see our patients in the hospital. Right, right. So it's very possible that during the whole day, I don't see any other physician. It could just be me and seeing 20 different patients wow. that day. And so if there was a difficult case, someone who had some real, you know, uh, emotional issues that were difficult, or if our interaction was difficult, there's really no one to um, kind of sympathize, empathize, right. and share those things with. And so, yeah, it is much, very much like a support group. And that's why the physicians really enjoy it. I bet. Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, we've been talking um, on other segments and shows here on Future of Health about how um, primary care physicians and emergency room docs, everybody are now being asked to screen for behavioral health issues. So do depression screenings and that that's a whole new can of worms, really, and a whole new set of complications for people to deal with. That would be draining, I would think. Yeah, and time-consuming. You sure. talked about the 20-minute visit. Yeah. If you happen to do a screening and discover that someone has depression, there's really a string of things that you need to do following yeah. that. Uh, first, uh, more question and interviewing to find out if that patient truly does have depression. And if they do, talking about uh, treatment options, what to expect, prognosis, and so on. And so, to be honest, a lot of physicians were a little hesitant to do uh at the check-in screening for all of the patients that came in because they knew that it would add to their day and add to their emotional burden that they would have to to deal with. Uh, It's very important, so don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. I think it's very important that we do this uh, because we see more and more that uh, attempts at suicide Mm -hmm. are often preceded by visits to primary care, to visits to ER, and uh, at those visits, oftentimes, unless elicited, patients don't talk about their emotional issues Uh, and they came as a a cry for help and yet uh, we weren't there to listen and so I think screening is very important Uh, but it definitely is adding to uh, the work that physicians are having to do primary care physicians especially well it also lends itself I know at Providence we talk a lot about the wounded caregiver right that we're spending so much time healing other people that it is very draining on us and so this program really does help people with that you mentioned the four-hour session what happens after that session well what's great about the session is it equips physicians and the care team our medical assistants our receptionists all with the same language the toolbox Mm -hmm. of of things to to take with them and we are able to remind each other of those things and so because of that uh People can say, oh, yeah, you know, you really owned it. And it's a real understanding of what it is um, that we're trying to do. And, again, reminding everybody about the very uh, real and impactful four-hour introduction that we have with that Own It program. I mean, there were uh, lots of folks who were really, I think, moved through that first uh, four-hour session. And just being reminded of that is helpful enough to kind of uh, recenter a lot of people and bring them back to what their purpose in healthcare is all about. So do they mostly go through that one four-hour session and then it's it's up to them to kind of extend that and take those learnings and, and on go, like 
activate them? Yes. We're okay. really trying to figure out how to uh, keep that alive because mm-hmm. there have been other programs, as I mentioned, where we have someone come in and speak to us about patient uh, satisfaction improvement or improving the patient experience, and it kind of dies off with that. It's a one and done, yeah. Exactly, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so we don't want this to just be a uh, a campaign or a program, a project that occurs. We want this really to be a part of our culture. Right. And starting um, kind of changing language and the words that we use is really uh, the first step in changing our culture. So give me an example like that of what a cultural transformation might look like. Sure. I I think that uh, even when it comes to uh, greeting a patient, um, making sure that you make eye contact, mm-hmm. that you, you smile. Uh, you know, the facial expressions are so important. Uh, being able to stop what you're doing and look that person in the eye. Just be and in the give moment. Them exactly. Mm-hmm. Give them your full attention so that they understand that they are the most important thing at that moment. So it's really important thing and something that you might think is pretty uh, common sense uh, and yet in a busy setting where there is uh, a lot of work it's very hard to to do those things because it does take extra time and does take extra effort and it's it's time and effort that I think all of us in healthcare want to give right. uh, but it is uh, it's not a an unlimited quantity well, I think it's true in, in really any facet of, of the workplace. I mean, at Providence, we do what we call reflections, right? So you come into a meeting and you have a reflection where everybody takes a moment to either hear a patient story or a prayer or something like that. But we tend to ignore those sometimes. We're just get in there, go through the agenda, get through the meeting yeah. and move on. But those moments are really impactful. So I think it's, it's important what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. So how did you get started in the Own It program? Well, I was already uh, one of the administrators here doing other work, especially with the electronic health record, doing some work with coding. And as one of the leaders, we all went through the program. Uh, But I really was moved by uh, the very real stories that our facilitators uh, had given. Uh, They talked about their own personal experiences, Mm -hmm. um, some very vulnerable things that were um, shared with us. that brought a lot of our physicians to even to tears. And so um, seeing how moving that is, that's what really drew me to the program because, you know, in the end, we went into healthcare really to help people Mm -hmm. who are hurting. Um, You know, physicians are very intelligent. They're hardworking. They're motivated. If they wanted to just make a lot of money, they could have gone into other uh, professions. But they went into healthcare because they really wanted to help people. And along the way, we kind of got all these things kind of thrown at us and it made things much more difficult. But getting back to kind of when I applied to medical school, we write essays about, oh, you want to become doctors. And every physician has done that and reminding them of who they were when they were younger, that that, uh, passion they had to to care for the sick and the vulnerable. That was really drawing me to it so that I could help others do that and connect back to that. Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about the Own It program. Sunshine on my Sunday best. Yeah, hey, hey, 
Every day can be a better day despite the challenge. All you gotta do is leave it better than you found it. It's gonna get difficult to stand but hold your balance. I just say whatever cause there is no way you're bound. Everyone falls down sometimes. But you just gotta know it'll all be fine. It's okay. And nothing works, you feel surrounded Gotta give your feet some gravity to get you grounded Keep good things inside your ears just like the waves and sound it And just say whatever cause there is no way you're grounded Everyone falls down sometimes But you just gotta know it'll all be fine It's okay Sunday best Hey, feeling good Like I should When in the walk around the neighborhood Feeling blessed Never stressed Got that sunshine on my Sunday best And we're back with Talk with the Doc and our guest Dr. Lee talking about the Own It program. So tell us a little bit more about this program. I understand that there are declarations and actions that are a part of it. Yeah, there, there is an acronym, uh, I, as much as we hate to make everything into an acronym, <laughs> uh, but the uh, acronym is GREAT, G-R-E-A-T. Uh, so the first is GREET, how we, uh, I own how I greet and welcome mm-hmm. you. Uh, R, I own how I show you respect. E, I own how I engage you and discover your needs. Mm-hmm. Um, A is I own how I assist you and personalize my actions for you. And T, I own how I assist you in transitioning your continuum of care and service. And it just helps uh, our physicians and our caregivers to think of owning it throughout the whole kind of spectrum of the visit, for the, the cycle of, of that, that G-R-E-A-T. Visit. So, yes. Great. I exactly. love it. I love it. What does that transition piece mean? Is that how I get you to the next care provider or the next appointment? Uh, yeah, both. All of okay. that. Um, you know, believe it or not, um, Many a physician thinks that the visit is done when they're done saying things and they will leave without letting the patient know what to expect next, whether that's a wait here because right. you're going to get uh, an immunization, um, come out to the front desk so that my uh, receptionist can schedule you another appointment. Uh, oftentimes, they'll just leave with the door open and kind of leave the patient there <laughs> not knowing what they're supposed I've to do. I've been there. Am I getting a prescription? Do I wait here? Somebody to come tell me what to do? Exactly. I don't even know how to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, our office is almost like a maze. Patients definitely can <laughs> get lost in there. So being able to just kind of summarize what was done, what's going to happen, and, and assist the patient, give them some expectations on what's going to happen next. Oh, that's amazing. Well, what is your own own it moment? You know, I have a, a patient, I'll 
call her Susan. She, I inherited her from a nurse practitioner, and uh, uh, the nurse practitioner was doing, uh, at the time, a lot of the work that, uh, a lot of the recommendations that were out there as far as pain management was concerned. Uh, and she had been put on uh, opiate medication and increased on its dose again and again and again wow. to try and get her to a point where she was pain-free. Uh, and that actually was kind of our thinking earlier on about how we should treat pain. But when I inherited her, I realized that she was on a very, very large dose, oh, wow. a dose that would probably make anyone who is naive to pain medications pass out or even die oh, of goodness. respiratory depression. Wow. So she seemed to be okay as far as she was concerned, and she was very anxious about meeting me for the first time. And we had to have a long conversation about in the risks of those medications. And even though she had not had any of those things to occur to her yet, I tried to explain to her, uh, like using the analogy of a car accident. If you're a dangerous driver, you may be able to survive for right. days or months right. until you have that car accident. And once you have the car accident, there's really no way of going back. But just trying to uh, talk with her and understand what her concerns were. She was definitely in pain, but she wasn't always in this massive amount of pain that required this high dose of opiates. Mm -hmm. She was more afraid that she would become, uh, she would be in a situation where she needed the pain medication but couldn't access it. And so through talking with her uh, a little bit more, uh, asking her questions, uh, trying to elicit what her concerns were, and try to empathize with her difficulties, we were able to really find that that was really the issue, that it wasn't so much that she needed high doses of it all the time. She just needed to be able to take higher doses when that pain when needed. hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we we started we agreed to start slow to reduce the medication and she was a little uh, nervous about it at first, but I think after she realized she didn't need that dose all the time, she was, it built a little bit of, of trust uh, and that we were able to slowly move down. Now we're still working on it. it it's a long process sure. but but she trusts me that I'm not trying to hurt her, but I'm actually trying to help her to avoid some type of, of medical emergency by cutting back on the dosages of, of opiates that she had. And, and she was telling me how you know, she was really fearful about meeting me for the sure. first time because she knew that there would be some confrontation mm -hmm. to it. Uh, but really trying to help her to understand that I'm really there to meet her needs. That really, she was able to... Uh, to see that that's what I was intending to do, and that helped, and that made all the difference. That's a it's a perfect story, right? Because there was the greet aspect of the first time you met her. There was the respect of building that relationship and hearing her out. Then you had the engagement of understanding her and trying to kind of make cor course corrections, assisting her. And then now you've got this long-term relationship with her. It's perfect. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Nicely Absolutely. done. Yes. Nicely <laughs> done. <Thank you. laughs> well, tell me a little bit about how this program got started here. I assume that, I mean, we hear about burnout and we hear about kind of this angst that people have across all industries. It's, mm -hmm. it's a little bit different in the healthcare <clears throat> field though, right? Yes. Uh, so the, this program actually started in, in St. Joseph's Health in Orange County, uh, and we adopted it in 2018. Mm -hmm. And we've been able to have all of our physicians go through it and all of our caregivers, uh, receptionists go through it. Already? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So we were really um, able to to utilize a lot of the, the leaders in um, the physicians and the the, uh, um, the caregivers. But th the reason that I think healthcare is uh, very different as far as burnout is concerned is that our 
physician labor workforce is very different than a lot of other professions. So to become a doctor, you have to go through four years of undergraduate school. You have to go to four years of medical school, three to five years of residency, and then uh, maybe a year, two, or three of fellowship. Those, so we're, physicians are very highly trained. It's a lot of investment that goes into that. But we have a lot of physicians who are working now that because of burnout, they want to retire, they want to quit, right. they want to do non-patient care. And it takes a long time to train and get a physician right, up right. and running. So when you have already this huge uh, increase in seniors because baby boomers are getting older and you don't have enough primary care physicians already, it just makes it really hard when burnout is taking away our most experienced physicians who really have uh, a lot of the tools to help take care of patients. So whatever, you know, whenever we can keep physicians doing work you know, taking care of patients, it's a win for patients. It's a win for for doctors. So you're really extending that work work lifetime. Yes, uh, absolutely. And physicians, you know, it's not uh, physically laborious. So as long as a physician is otherwise healthy, there's really no reason that they would have to stop uh, right. working at necessarily at age 65. Um, in fact, a lot of physicians do work further. But uh, but if the work becomes onerous if it becomes something that's just uh, burning them out. It's it's really a, a problem with having a, a stable number of physicians to take care sure. of our patients. Well, it becomes work rather than something you enjoy as a career, yeah. right? Well, you mentioned that all of the physicians and even other people have been through this training. Is the training the same for physicians as it is for, say, your front desk staff? So it, it is a little bit different. Uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, in the program, we talk about uh, compassion and how compassion can uh, be extended to others, and they will then show compassion. Mm -hmm. So it actually translates and it communicates the to pay others. It forward. Yeah, exactly. And uh, physicians, oftentimes, if they're burnt out, they're tired, and they ha don't have much energy left, they'll often uh, not show compassion to their staff. Sure. And that often can translate to patients. And so we talk a little bit about that, and the physicians, I think are able to see that, you know what, um, how I treat my, my medical assistant, how I treat my receptionist, really makes a, a big impact on how patients get treated. Uh, so that's uh, one uh, aspect that's a little bit different for, for physicians as it is for our caregivers. Also, the, the kinds of situations that are talked about are a little bit different uh, because the physicians oftentimes, they were focusing more on the doctor-patient relationship mm -hmm. in general um, as far as in the exam room and uh, as far as medical assistants and receptions. They're talking about more uh, interactions that they're dealing with on a regular basis. I know. I think it's Dr. Phil. Love him. Love him or leave him. However <laughs> you, you want to go down that road. But he talks a lot on his shows about how physicians really, truly get treated fairly badly by patients actually yeah. on a regular basis. And that that's part of the reason a lot of docs actually quit practicing or do what you said, go into administrative roles. Yeah. Does this program kind of address some of that as to how to handle that feeling of not being treated well? Well, you know, whenever there's real strong emotion that's coming from patients uh, when they're upset, in pain. In pain. Right. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of times it's just a way of them trying to communicate uh, what they're going through. And uh, it's not easy to, to get cursed at or right. to be told that you're, you know, you don't know what you're doing or you're incompetent. And that does happen a lot of times. Uh, and in the program, we really are trying to help physicians 
empathize with the patient, uh, empathize with why they're there. Um, and instead of kind of giving just prescriptions about what to do, uh, sometimes just slowing down and saying, you know, I, I understand what you're, you're going through. I know it must be bad. Um, there's a, a short video um, that uh, we watched. It shows how hurtful minimizing a patient's concerns can be. You know, oh, just saying, you point. know, yeah. at least you are, you know. At least you can walk. Exactly, or, yeah. that kind of thing. You know, at least you. So, um, but that's oftentimes well-intended by the physician. They're hoping to kind of paint a silver lining to the dark clouds that the patients are living under. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of patients that are, that come to us, they just wanted to know that we care, we understand that they're going through this tough time. Uh, we can offer what's available, mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of times what patients are looking for is just someone to listen, someone to um, kind of say that I care, right. and someone who will, who will be there. Uh, and that's uh, a big part of it. And once those angry emotions uh, are kind of uh, taken off, peeled off, there's often someone that's really just in need of some some caring. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I definitely see how this maps back to of the mission of know me, care for me, ease my way. Are we seeing this type of program outside of the Providence Ministries? Are you seeing other like UC Davis, UCLA, any of those other programs doing things like this? You know, that's what's unique about this. I haven't really seen this in uh, other uh, organizations. Uh, patient experience improvement programs are very common. Uh, so, but this is, I think, very different. Uh, a lot of the difference is that the physicians uh, are oftentimes the ones that are sharing their experiences, and that's what encourages each other. We talked about how it's almost like a support group. Right, right. Yeah, so there, it's really um, allowing physicians to express things that they may not have talked about for, for a very, very long time and being able to continue to do that. Are you being met with any resistance from physicians about, I mean, four hours is a big time commitment. Yeah, it, it, it is, but I think it's well worth uh, the, the time that physicians take out of their clinic or, or rounding to be there. Uh, and, you know, if it can make physicians more productive, if it can help them to uh, uh, take care of patients and have better outcomes, we do know that when we communicate better with patients, patients will follow our recommendations and sure. patients will generally be uh, healthier, uh, w we do know that it's well worth it. And so uh, I think many physicians come in skeptical, but they leave understanding that it was uh, it's time well spent. And is there kind of a 2.0 for this program? Like, do you see the next wave of this as more training or better definition? Well, we're always trying to figure out how to continue on with it. Uh, I think that what it's allowed physicians to do is to let down their guard a little bit. Mm. You know, uh, when you get to be a physician, there's almost kind of this archetype of kind of the the uh, almost superhuman doctor. The strong can, one in control of who everything. You can do everything, yeah. exactly. Uh, but allowing physicians to kind of uh, take their armor off mm -hmm. and be vulnerable with each other, uh, let, uh, let each other know that, you know, the stress that we're under def definitely does impact us. Um, we know that physician suicide is extremely high. Right, right. Uh, physicians are struggling, uh, and uh, this is uh, an opportunity for physicians to, to be able to kind of share that and, and connect with each other um, and reduce that burnout. I, I like what you said about 
really being vulnerable with each other, but really also just that ability to come together. Cause you're right. I mean, like teachers have the teacher lunchroom and the mm-hmm. workroom and, yeah. and physicians aren't having that. And I think it's really important too. We talked about this on a recent show, um, hospital internists, right? So I might not even see my doctor when I'm in the hospital, but that means my doctor also might not see me and mm-hmm. may not know what's going on. And that has to be very frustrating. You know, there's so much going on with patient care. I, I just think about uh, when I started, which is about, I think about 16 years ago here. You're holding up well. Yeah. He looks like <laughs> he's 12, you, just you. for y'all. But when I started, I the medication list that my patients were on, you know, it was easy for me to remember because it would only be right. two or three. Mm-hmm. But it's in the, the 16 years, the decade that I've worked, it's double, tripled. And so there's so much complexity to what's going on, so much information that's being Uh, thrown our way. And one of the downsides of having an electronic health record is that there's so much information going back and forth between different hospitals, different groups, uh, pharmacies. It's just a lot of additional clicking, a lot of additional work. A lot you have to read through before you even see with the patient. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think that uh, physicians really want to just be able to spend time and talk with patients, but instead we're oftentimes tied to the computer, to the keyboard and the mouse, and we're kind of chained there having to to look through screen after screen to get the little information that we think is gonna make a difference. Well, I love this program then about how it kind of recenters you and brings you back to why you got started Mm -hmm. in this and to get rid of all of the, not the nonsense, but the things that are more complicated than just sitting with the patients. Well, thank you, Dr. Lee, for joining us today and everyone for listening and sending in your questions. You can follow Facey's doctors on Twitter and on Facebook at Facey Medical. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Facey Medical and Providence. Make sure to follow us on social media at PSJH on Twitter and on Instagram and under Providence St. Joseph Health on Facebook. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit future.psjhealth.org. Thanks for listening, everyone.